0: Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You are with Lyle and
1: Minnie.
0: Minnie. How are you this morning?
1: I'm pretty good this morning. Yeah. I just woke up. I was like, it was a bit sleepy, but I was like, ah, it's good. And the sun's out again. And um, our small group, we were just talking about it before we started We're doing a little Thanksgiving tonight Yes We normally we do Bible study and we're doing Bible study Are you doing Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving tonight? Yes Right Yeah, so it's not actually when Americans have Thanksgiving But um,
0: We have to, we're in Australia
1: That's right that's We can have Thanksgiving whenever like, we, we want I we can make our own traditions. <laughs>
0: this is, this is by the way, I, I, I have this rant every year Oh, okay and seeing as you've raised it, yes, I'm going to have it now. Oh
1: yeah, brilliant! This
0: is the greatest American holiday ever invented, and the one that should be exported worldwide. I can care. Uh, America has managed to adopt mm-hmm. and then export Halloween, which yeah, is a celebration. Is it's a celebration of death.
1: Yeah, and that's the one we've picked up,
0: and that's the one we've picked up, and everybody's gone mad with it. And you know, I remember when Thanksgiving, when 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 Halloween just didn't exist. We sort of read about it in books. It was a thing <laughs> that happened in America. And then I spent a couple of years in America, and I saw Thanksgiving, and I came back to sorry um, Thanksgiving and Halloween. I came back to Australia, and Halloween had arrived in Australia, and Thanksgiving hadn't.
1: So ridiculous! What is going on? Yeah. Even when I was a kid, like in primary school, it was talk. Halloween was talked about, but people didn't do it. It was just kind of like a oh, ha, ha Halloween didn't. A movie someone watched And then by like The end of high school People were getting amongst it And I was like What is this What
0: (laughs) Halloween is celebrating Everything Dark and negative Thanksgiving is celebrating Everything positive Yeah And so I think we need to have Thanksgiving here in Australia. We can be thankful for so many different things here in yeah. Australia. We can be thankful for living in such an amazing country. And so let's celebrate it. Let's have uh, Thanksgivings all over the place. I know that um, they're, they're kind of taken off. Yeah, you've
1: got a few this year. You say, yeah, hey, they're taken yeah. off all
0: over the place. I know of at least six right now that are happening right around here in the local community. So that's fantastic. You're listening to The Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Let's have some positively different news.
1: Okay, so there is an initiative that was started in Uganda. It's called Snares for Wares. Um, it's a non-for-profit and it's for, specifically for local artisans um, who specialise... Have you heard of this?
0: Artisans meers? or artisans? Artisans.
1: That's what I meant.
0: That's what I meant. <laughs> like, I like <laughs> artisans. Underground water. <laughs> yes.
1: That's the one. <laughs> um, and they specialise in one particular style of sculpture, which is those made from the wiring of poachers' traps.
0: What, what i that so yeah i'm just wrapping my head around that so you go out mm-hmm. you collect poachers traps yep you recycle the wiring out of the trap yep and then you make that into sculptures.
1: Yep, and they're sculptures of the local animals, though.
0: I t- got to tell you, in in, uh, in 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 Africa, they do the most amazing wire sculptures you can even begin do to imagine. They? Oh, absolutely! Oh, the things that
1: African man <laughs> the things that
0: the things that they will create mm-hmm. out of just a piece of wire yeah. is just absolutely phenomenal. Uh, when my dad li- my dad lived in Zambia for five years and he would bring some of these sculptures back at times and it would just blow your mind. Mm. Um, the, you, you get a piece of wire and have this really like complex motorbike and you've got all the tyres and the engine and all the little components in the engine and it's all made just with just by bending wire.
1: Amazing.
0: And the gearbox and the chain and the, you know. All the things. All the things. The seat, you know, the, the fuel tank, it's all made out of just... Bending wire.
1: Well, that must be because I was looking at some of the photos, and this must be the same sort of thing that they're doing then. Because, yeah, it was, you know, whether it was an elephant or whatever animal, it was so intricate. Yeah. Like if you saw it from a distance, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that's a, you know, whatever the animal was. Just like all the, yeah. And amazing.
0: see, we would never think to do that in this country yeah. because we're going to do a sculpture. We've got, you know, so many other resources yeah. that are easily and readily available. And when, you know, it's like, well, we don't have any resources, but, you know, this trap was an illegal trap so we can have it. So we will actually rip it apart, rip the wire out of it and make, make something, something beautiful out
1: of, it. out of it. Yeah. Which I just thought was super cool. And it started by two guys who, like one of them, oh, look, his name could be pronounced <laughs> Tutilo Mudumbu. Apologies. Yes, for the people out there who know that I butchered that, I didn't mean to.
0: I like I like how you said that. Could be pronounced.
1: I'm not sure. And he's a National Geographic explorer, and then this other fellow, Robert Montgomery, is a wildlife ecologist at Michigan State University. And they began this project because they just saw the need. They were like, it it was near um, a state, uh, sorry, a national park where a lot of poaching takes place, and they went, well, what can we do? And (laughs) Modumbu <laughs> was researching about the usage and distribution of these traps. And what's cool is now they have 620 artisans selling about 800 sculptures a month. That's okay, like a that's solid really project. Okay, that's really cool,
0: but what's really scary about that is the amount of traps that they're collecting. Exactly. That's terrifying.
1: How crazy is that? Yeah. Yeah, and like we we don't really understand the impact of that because we're not in a place where that happens. You know, like we we can hear about it,
0: no, we, we but don't. But we don't
1: live anywhere near... We don't, well, in really the have. Region, yeah. we don't have any
0: significant poaching in Australia. No.
1: So we can talk about it, but what that actually looks like and the, Im- like the impact it has on you and the environment, and the, all the things, is um, yeah, a little bit of a mystery to us. But what he, the point that was made that I found quite interesting is that he said there are so many poor villages in the area that a lot of them actually didn't know what the wildlife looked like. like so they kind of found that the wildlife was a nuisance or a mystery um, or a threat. And so in part of this project... Or food. Or food, or food, yeah. Um, but in part of this project has also been um, a really cool way to educate the locals and go, hey, this is what's in the area, this is what they look like, this is their patterns, these are the... You know, so it's really getting to know their environment and um, the animals in it and their place in it. And I just I just really like that. I think we can always do with more connection to what is actually in the natural world around us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the things that my, um, my, my dad did find a little bit... Um, Sad when he was in Africa is that you know people live in such abject poverty. Is that when the wildlife turns up, there's kind of no thought for uh, preserving the wildlife because mm. it well it's just food, it is opportunity to eat yeah. and to eat well for a change. Yeah, and yeah, that's part of the uh, you know we we just don't have that in Australia. We got a, in Australia we have a country that is overrun by wildlife. It's overrun by feral wildlife? Yeah, and so you know we have a massive challenge on our hands to actually get rid of the feral wildlife so that our native species can come back and exist again.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's You're, a very, very different problem. Very different, absolutely. Okay, so another good news story. Uh, so 12 months ago, Meg and Ollie Clothia, Clothia, oh no, they set off on their honeymoon at the start of Wedded Bliss. 12 months later, they're still going. And so what they've been doing, they decided that they were, they got married last year, um, I think around in November, and they decided that they were going to spend all of 2020 just dedicating to um, trying to spend some time to help out farmers. So they're farmers themselves um, from South Australia. And, you know, there was fires, there was drought, there was a whole bunch of just environmental stuff going on. And they said, you know, we can't change the weather, but what can we do to help even just the mindsets of people? And so they have spent the entire year so far, and they're going to continue a little bit until around Christmas time when they'll go back to see family. Um, just going to different different properties they've clocked over 35,000 kilometers and they stay at each residence between one week and 10 days and just say hey we're going to look after everything we can you guys just go just take a break just take a few days you know have a rest and you know whatever you want to do and you know so that's just like feeding the cattle or the whatever's there um, checking the water feeding the pets if there's any water to water some garden you know just that kind of stuff and for the owners, they said just getting some time, even though it's just a week or 10 days, it's just a massive, massive reprieve and it's just been so good for their mental health. And, and that makes sense, right? Sometimes if I'm like, oh, I'm feeling stressed, I want to go to the beach, I want to go outside, just sometimes seeing a different landscape can just be really
0: Oh, absolutely. Really Best beneficial. thing ever. Yeah. yeah, so
1: they don't know what's going to happen next. They see that farmers still will have a need, but yeah, they've, they've dedicated their whole year-long or bit over a year honeymoon to just going, okay, we want to help. How can, we, how can we do that? What can we do?
0: Fantastic. Good thing. Good to see. Good things happening in our world. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, so heading to more serious news. Uh, Victoria is planning to bring through some more uh, anti-conversion therapy. Legislation before the end of the year, and at the end of the year is not very far away. So, somewhere in the next two weeks, they plan to table it and pass it. So, you know, rush it through while everybody else is distracted with a million other things. Mm. And of course, this is legislation to ban nothing because nobody's actually doing conversion, you know, coercive, abusive conversion therapy in Australia. And uh, we would wonder, well, why do you do legislation to ban nothing when nobody's actually doing that?
1: That's my question, yeah.
0: Um, and really what this is, is it is simply targeting people of faith. Yeah, okay. It's an anti-religion uh, piece of legislation and we need to identify what the real target is and there's no secret about it. Um, and so, you know, a Christians, people of faith across the board in Australia absolutely condemn anything, you know, Coercive or abusive mm. um, forms of therapy for any kind of thing, but basically it comes down to banning conversion in many ways, full stop.
1: So, is the legislation essentially to say you can't even speak about like how would that work? Okay, so
0: basically uh, it would be it would it would ban schools from teaching biology because mm. biology teaches that there is a such difference. a thing as male and female. Right, right. That's that's biological. Mm-hmm. So you can't teach biology anymore. You can only teach ideology. So this is, this is where Victoria's going um, and has been going this direction for a fair while. Um, the implications for teaching scripture uh, in church, in school, or in the home, you could have parents who would be um, liable and penalised for having a faith-based conversation with their children based on uh, either gender or... Um, orientation or anything like that Mm. so you know some pretty serious stuff happening down there in victoria and this you know is kind of it's what we're seeing over and over again in various states in australia coming through and it's where our world is heading we're we're going down the path of insanity where you know we have for so long said well you know people have for so long have said well you know what we uh we 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 believe in science not in faith Mm.
1: Yeah, interesting. Right? And now it's like, yeah. well, no,
0: science has got nothing to do with this. It's all about ideology. Well, that's faith.
1: Yeah, interesting. You know, That's a big old
0: swing. It's a massive <laughs> swing. It's a massive swing. Um, in San Diego, the Honourable or maybe Dishonourable Joel Wolfier um, of the San Diego Supreme Court has issued an order Stopping California Governor Newsom from enforcing COVID-19 restrictions on uh, Pace's showgirls.
1: I don't know what that is. It's a strip club. Oh, okay.
0: So in other words, uh, you can't enforce COVID uh, restrictions on the strip club. The strip club has to stay open, but churches have to stay closed.
1: That's ridiculous.
0: Yeah, go figure, right? <laughs> that
1: makes zero go sense. Go figure
0: that one out. Um... And he stated that the strip club is constitutionally protected, constitutionally protected under free speech.
1: Oh my days. But churches are not. That's crazy.
0: Churches are closed throughout the state of California and remain closed throughout the state of California, except for one or two that are rather large churches and have rather large budgets and have been able to fight it through the courts and have been able to win every single court case that they've gone to, in which case the state of California has turned around and persecuted them. I mean, John MacArthur's church, uh, they couldn't stop him from opening his doors. So in the end, they took his car park off him because he'd had a long, you know, like a hundred year lease on his car park with the uh, local council and they mm. just uh, terminated uh-huh. the lease. You know, it's just like
1: full-blown so full
0: persecution. Uh, but, you know, if you've got a strip club, well, that has to stay up. And that's an essential service right there. That's that's free speech. You can't infringe upon people's free speech.
1: Wait, how is it free speech, though?
0: I don't know. I don't know what they actually say in a strip club.
1: Yeah, I, I don't understand. That's... Uh
0: okay. <laughs> Go figure, right? I believe that is a mission. Okay, but while we're on that subject, this is a really interesting story. Thailand mm-hmm. has just banned Pornhub.
1: Yes, I heard about this.
0: This is massive. Pornhub is the biggest porn site in the world.
1: Yeah. That's great that it's banned.
0: But it's banned in Thailand.
1: Yeah, which is surprising.
0: Thailand is the largest user of mm. Pornhub. Mm. Thailand is a country where between 7 and 10% of their GDP, gross domestic product, you know, income for the country, is on uh, uh, sex traffic. Mm. And a lot of that is child se- sex traffic. In fact, it's the world's largest exporter of pornography and uh, is basically the world epicenter for sex trafficking, sex tourism and child sex abuse.
1: Hey,
0: and they've just banned Pornhub. Um, Which is amazing. Now, now, now this is amazing, amazing, and it's good. The thing that frustrates me is how do you get a country like that yeah. that is so far ahead of Australia? Mm-hmm. You know, we think we're more civilised than Thailand, and we would never let the things that ha- happen in Thailand and go on in Thailand happen in this country, but we allow Pornhub, mm-hmm. and they look at Pornhub and look like, no, we can't have that.
1: Yeah. I wonder how they
0: yeah, came 10%, to that. 10%, yeah. 10% of Pornhub's business is coming out of Thailand. So there's going to be a massive chunk out of their budget just gone.
1: Oh, fully.
0: Yeah, okay. So um, in doing so, the uh, government cited other countries that have gone down this particular path um, and said it was a, viol- a violation of the Computer Crimes Act. Um, and that, you know, other countries were going down this path, so, you know, we need to keep up with the rest of the world. Well, they're not keeping up with – well, they're far ahead of Australia, I should say.
1: What are some Um, of the other countries? Do you
0: know? Not listed in this uh particular article. But, um, yeah, the – well, let me see here. Trafficking uh, hits highlights the issue. So, um, the – yeah, the anti-trafficking – sorry – The anti-trafficking hub, or trafficking hub, um, has, which is the hub that's been, you know, fighting for this, is supported by two point one million people across the world. Their campaign video to get rid of uh, Pornhub and other similar sites has been viewed by thirty-three million people across one hundred and ninety-two countries. So this is actually a rather large movement Mm. that is gaining significant support, and it has actually had a major impact on what is has been taking place in. In in Thailand and in pushing Thailand to actually do this, so Bangkok um, is Pornhub's tenth largest customer base. Whoa, that's massive, particularly when you're up against big cities like you know New York and uh, LA and so forth. You know because America is a a massive consumer of pornography. Thailand spends more time on the Pornhub site than any other country in the world. Now it's gone. And now it's gone. Um, and is one of the world's largest exporters of porn. Okay, now you read through the story. Uh, to be honest, there's a whole bunch of stuff in the news story about this that, you know, going into the reasons why this particular site was banned in this particular country and some of the examples that they were giving. And honestly, they are just way too infinitely horrific to even begin mentioning on air. Yeah, yeah. You think of your worst nightmares, Mm. times that by 10, and people are videoing this and posting it up for entertainment. You know, this is just horrifically sick. You know, Thailand was once a country that introduced itself or advertised itself as the only thing more delicious than its durian were its young women. Oh, yeah. You know, this is the kind of country it was, hopefully what we are seeing is a turnaround because if it turns around far enough, hey, one day I might even consider going there for a holiday. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Well, one of our most popular segments here on the Faith FM Breakfast Show is our discussion of the book of Genesis with Baron Newstratten. Baron, welcome to the show once again.
2: Thank you again for having me, Lyle.
0: Now, Baron. Last time we were uh, looking in uh, Genesis, we were looking at the story of Abraham and his uh, battle against the Elamites. Of course, uh, his cousin, his nephew, I should say, Lot had been taken captive by the Elamites. He wins this great yeah. victory. He um, he goes to the city of uh, Salem or Jerusalem, um, as we yeah. now call call it. To to worship there. There's a couple of interesting issues that come out of that because the priest and the king of this particular city was a person by the name of Melchizedek. And yeah. then the other big issue, of course, is that he goes there to return tithe. I'm wondering if yeah. we can if we can start with Melchizedek first. Mysterious character in the Bible. Yeah. What what who is this guy and what are some of the different ideas out there that as to as to who Melchizedek might be?
2: Yeah, it's an interesting. It's a good question, and there's many a dispute about it uh, who he actually was. But it's fairly simple, really, in a sense that he appears uh, on the uh, what shall I say on the record for a, a book like Genesis that deals particularly in genealogies as to ancestry and posterity. It is remarkable that about the man of Melchizedek we don't have any information. At all, other than to say that we do know that we do know that by ethnicity. He was an Emirate. Now that, that these were descendants uh, still of Yafit, but uh, basically um, the uh, he was a um, he was an Emirate that is very significant. He was not the king of the Emirates; he was the king of Salem, and uh, Salem is the equivalent of. Um, of Jerusalem, because uh, once you add the vows, uh, you get uh, from Salem, you get uh, Shalom. It's really the same root word. So it's peace, uh, righteousness. Um, so he's a king of that. And we know nothing about him other than his performance here, that he was a priest. And that in itself is a remarkable thing. There was an order of priesthood. Uh, already then, which can only have been pertaining to a sacrificial uh, system that must have been in place. And it's remarkable that uh, the man was not related to Abram in any way at all. He was memorized. Uh, it's fascinating that he appears.
0: Now, and of course, it, the book of Hebrews mentions Melchizedek.
2: Yes, it does. In chapter 5 and chapter 7, you Paul picks up on that, and he relies also, of course, on Psalm 110. Eight centuries later, after the event that Abram is on record of having paid his tithe to Melchizedek, uh, Paul remarks on that, that the, uh, the man uh, Melchizedek, and uh, he, he identifies the qualifications, if you like, of the man Melchizedek with the qualifications of Christ.
0: Yes, because, you know, we look at Abraham and Abraham was the priest of his home. Of course, you know, Abraham, Abraham's descendant was Levi and you have the Levitical priesthood that comes down through there. But then you've yeah. got, if Abraham is going to Melchizedek to return tithes to Melchizedek, then clearly Melchizedek is a greater in rank priest than Abraham.
2: Absolutely. Uh, Levi had not been born yet, let alone his descendants, let alone the priesthood. And for that matter, even the Aaronic priesthood had not been instituted yet, which is remarkable. And yet, we have a fully fledged priest. A priest who. um, uh, Lyle is such a remarkable thing. He's the king of peace, he's the king of Salem, but he's also the go -between, between man and God. He is the priest to the most high God. And, uh, and that is, that is so, such a remarkable thing. He, uh, he, he's identified his God as the God of Abram, and Abram swears he doesn't want to take anything at all from the from the kings there of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, he, he swears by the same God that we have uh, Melchizedek as his priesthood identified is two, which is very remarkable. So there was a pocket, and there must have been other pockets perhaps that are not recorded, of true worshippers of God outside the uh, the family of Abraham himself.
0: Mm, mm. Yes, very much so. And we see that in, uh, I guess, several other places in the Bible, people like Balaam and so forth uh, uh, popping up who were worshippers of the true God, even though Balaam, of course, lost his way in yeah. the end.
2: And Jethro was the father-in-law of Moses
0: was another one Mm.
2: yeah the the indication
0: (laughs) is that you know while while israel did become at some future point pretty much the only place in the world that served god when you go back to the time of abraham which is you know closer to noah closer to the flood that the worship of god was actually much more widespread than what we often realize yeah and, and and
2: the other thing that is so remarkable firstly the tithing uh, the tithing was not to pay for the for the sacrifices, but it was obviously a sustenance to those who, um, particularly Melchizedek, who was a priest. It was more than that, perhaps. It was a recognition that everything belonged to God. I don't know whether I mentioned this last time. The number of complete was seven and ten play a big role in prophecies. Uh, seven is pertaining to time, ten pertains to everything. So uh, an act of tithing is a statement of belief that says everything belongs to God. And to prove that, I give a tenth representing everything.
0: Now, this is interesting because a lot of people um, just assume, I think, or or even claim, but I've often heard it said that tithing was something that originated as a part of the law of Moses. And yet this is hundreds of years before Moses when this event takes place.
2: Oh, 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 absolutely. You're talking about almost 400 years. Uh, yep. And and it, it is an expression of faith, an expression of belief, uh, an expression of understanding.
0: Now, with the issue of tithing right here, I think what else is also significant is that it's not stated as something new. It's not something that is, you know, where God comes along and says, okay, Abraham, I want you to do this. Why don't you go down there and return tithe? It's just stated in the story as something that you do. Yeah. Which indicates that this Correct. is something that has been there for a significant amount of time already.
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It, as I said, it really is a statement of faith.
0: Yes, now on the issue of tithing because this one is a somewhat vexed issue I guess you know the Bible says the 10th the, the commandment is the one commandment that we sort of uh, never hear anything about thou shalt not covet but it is a somewhat vexed issue amongst Christians those who are very, very passionately in support of it those who are very passionately against it what was Jesus attitude towards tithing?
2: Yeah, he recognised that because he obviously, somebody in the past, instituted it as a principle, and uh, he had, uh, he adhered to it. Uh, as we know, he he approved of it. In itself, it's not sufficient. It uh, it must be backed by a lifestyle, and he made that claim. But he certainly um, defended it as a correct institution.
0: Yeah, so we've got the first mention of it here with Abraham, but you know Jesus obviously mentions himself as well. But what about in the New Testament? Does the principle, does the concept of tithing continue on into the New Testament?
2: The the uh, the New Testament obviously becomes a support means, a means of. In fact, already in the Old Testament, it was a means of support of the Levitical priesthood, uh, and that is uh, perhaps a more narrower understanding than one. That occurs with Melchizedek, where it's really not just—it's not really there for a support of a priesthood per se. Again, it, it really is the ultimate expression of understanding. Um, if, if you go to actually the 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 fourteenth chapter there of the uh, of the book of Genesis, when when Melchizedek he blesses Abram, um, and he calls the, the the of God Most High, which is El Elyon, which is Abraham uses the same title, possessor of heaven and earth. The the Hebrews didn't have a word for the universe, so God owns everything. Means the only way to express that is heaven and earth, and that was the the, the principle. So Shemayim ve that that means that that everything is there belongs to God. That was the important thing, and Melchizedek picks up on that. He, he says that uh, you know that that's the God of Abraham. And then, as I said later on, Abram, the king of Sodom, you can keep your stuff, you, you can have your people back. Um, and there were three Amorites that were actually uh, part of uh, the, uh, the army of uh, of, of Abram that uh, he was friendly with, which is a very remarkable thing, too. So they kept what they finished, but Abram returned all goods. He, he did not want anything because he swore to God, most highly possessor of heaven and earth. It means it's the same God. And that's very important and that the understanding that this same God is the possessor of everything that exists uh, is is beyond the support system, tithing as a support system.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I think that, um, you know, when you see tithing as a support system, we see that principle carried right the way down through. I guess, you know, if you look at it here in the story of Melchizedek, the tithe there is a support system for the priesthood. Then you've got the uh, yeah. the tithe system as a support system for the Levites, and then yeah. you've got passages in the New Testament where you know Paul says, you know, if I've if I've preached the word, is there anything wrong with uh, with you know reaping where I've sowed, so to speak? Yeah, and right. uh, yeah. and and a, and a tithe system. He actually quotes from the tithe system in the Old Testament. About you know we don't muzzle the ox that treads out the corn and so forth. There's a whole bunch of verses really that yeah, um, that right. support this whole system as you um, as you work your way down through the uh, the story. Fascinating story here with uh, yeah. Melchizedek and the, Abraham.
2: The the name Melchizedek is a is a fascinating one. Uh, it, it comes from Melak like, and uh, means my king, possessor form, first person, and Sedek so is righteousness and. Um, he is a priest and a king, and I think that's the essence of the story here. He is the king. Jesus is king. He is a priest. Jesus is the priest. And, and it's instituted, if you go to Psalm 110, it is to be a priesthood forever. Uh, he is to exist forever. He, has to, he is to be a king forever. And uh, this makes it also such a wonderful comparison and a, a beautiful allegory between this historical figure and Christ himself.
0: I'm glad you mentioned that because somebody just texted through just now uh, mentioning the link between uh, the King of Salem and Jesus, the King of Jerusalem. And so what we've yeah. got here is a type and anti-type. Would that be the correct way to describe this?
2: Sorry, I missed that. Sorry.
0: Um, is what we have here a type and anti-type? Between yeah,
2: yeah, Absolutely. The type and anti type is the perfect way to express it. We have a we have an incredible type here. Um, the so his attack is um, in the Hebrew. You don't have the verb to be in the present tense. So is it uh, applied here? So marking is righteousness, uh, and that um, and that's wonderful He's the King of Peace. The Priest is the go between between God and man. Jesus is our go between between God and man. And uh, that's, a, that's a position he holds forever because he's both. And uh, that's a beautiful allegory and uh, so well represented by this uh, historical figure.
0: Yeah. And we've got that other verse in Hebrews as well, which describes Melchizedek as being uh, without beginning of years or end of days. What's what's that yeah. all about?
2: Well, that basically is saying that this is a Hebrew speaking, he is, he's explaining that there is no, there is no, uh, there is no ancestry and there is no, uh, descendancy by way of record. So it's not there. That doesn't mean that the man Melchizedek was supernaturally appearing, uh, or that he was, for that matter, as has been suggested by some, that he, uh, that he was, uh, was Christ himself. He wasn't. He was an Emirate King. There's no question about that. A historical figure. But the record uh, does not indicate an ancestry or a posterity because that is not relevant to the position that he held and in the representation that he is in relation to Christ.
0: Mm, and, of course, that becomes significant as a type of Christ and a type of the priesthood that Christ was. Oh, very. Yeah,
2: very much, Charlie.
0: Yeah, Baron. we're out of time. So. Thank you so much for joining us this morning.